continue in the book of Exodus. It's only, it's only been a few months since the people have been delivered from Egypt at the Exodus, way out literally. <clears throat> and the Lord, remember, audibly spoke the Ten Commandments. We just had a series on the Ten Commandments. And there was uh, lightning and thunders. And, and Hebrews tells us there was the mountain was stormy. And even now, Moses has gone up the mountain and there's a cloud that's covering the top of the mountain. And Moses has gone into the cloud to, to meet with the Lord. It's only been about 40 days. And the people have become impatient with Moses. And remember, the Lord has been giving Moses instructions on how to teach the Ten Commandments and the application of God's law. And He's giving him the instructions in building the tabernacle, which is a picture of God's presence with His people. And the furniture of the tabernacle are emblems of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the candlestick, He's the light of the world. We just sang today the table of bread. He's the, he's the bread of life. Um, he is the, uh, the altar of incense. That Jesus is the way into the Holy of Holies. And so these are pictures that God is giving Moses to convey to the people. And uh, Moses is about to, dis- to descend the mountain and communicate to the nation. But we see that, that the world, or let me just say, Egypt has not left their hearts, though they have left Egypt. And so many of them have forced Aaron into a corner. Aaron should have been more courageous. He should have said, no, this is idolatry. We're not to worship uh, beasts, four-footed beasts. God made the beasts. We're not to worship creatures. We're to worship the Creator. But we see that Aaron um, uh, gives in to the people. And maybe he was delaying when he said, take off your, the gold and earrings and, and your jewelry and I'll melt it in, and make it into an idol. Maybe he was thinking that they're not going to want to give up their expensive jewelry. That, but yet, we're told immediately they did so. So if he was trying to delay things until Moses arrived, it backfired. Uh, you try to manipulate ways in which we might try to alter uh, disobedience, but we should stand up against disobedience, against error. And again, Moses or Aaron should have known better He should have risked his own life by saying, no, we must obey God as He has commanded us in His Word. So, what we find in Exodus 32 is Moses picturing the Lord Jesus Christ and interceding between God and Israel, and Israel between Israel and God. He stands in between God and the people. He's picturing the Lord Jesus who is the only mediator between God and man. And we find uh, four movements in chapter 32 that we'll look at. But you've heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand, what? Words. Well, the Bible is full of such pictures. You think of the rainbow after the universal flood. It speaks of God's grace to man. 
You think of the ladder that Jacob dreamed about, picturing that God bridges the gap between heaven and earth. Jesus is the ladder, he explains. That's a picture of Jesus. You think about the talking donkey in the book of Numbers, that that beast had more sense than the false prophet. You think of a sling and a stone that would defeat a giant in the days of David. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place ripped from the top to the bottom. What a picture that the King of Glory has died to open a way for man to once again fellowship with God. But isn't this a scene to remember? Moses is carrying the two tablets of stone down the mountain and he sees the breaking of God's law before his face. And think of how valuable those those stones were. God's the one that chiseled them and He's the one that, that wrote on these ta- tablets of stone. But Moses was so overcome with, with jealousy for God really and for, for a righteous indignation that He takes those valuable stones that probably people would have worshipped uh, and He throws them down, casts them down. Perhaps they landed, some of the, the, the fragments landed at the feet of whoever was closest to the bottom of the mountain. But what a picture worth a thousand words where God's law has been shattered by the people. And the Lord doesn't fault Moses for breaking those stones. As a matter of fact, he just said to him a little bit later, now you make some. Uh, I've, I, have, I have chiseled out the stone. Now it's your turn. And I'll write on on those stones the exact uh, words that were on the previous ones. But the Lord was vindicating Moses. that, That Moses was showing an illustration of what was happening in the camp. They were breaking God's law. And so we find this horrible incident, but yet it's such a teaching moment for all of us. Whole chapters given to this golden calf uh, debacle, you might call it. Moses is God's man to lead his people out of bondage, to be saved from the slavery of sin, to serve the Lord. But this horrible scene, just about 40 days since God spoke these commandments from Mount Sinai, the Bible tells us that they they told Aaron that they wanted him to do something. They wanted him to make us gods. Notice in verse 1, small g, obviously there's only one true and living God. Up, Make us gods which shall go before us. Why did Aaron come up with the idea of a calf, a golden calf? And when we think of a calf, we think of a young animal. But don't think of necessarily a young uh, bull, because this word, for instance, is used in the feminine in Genesis 15 of a three-year-old um, animal. And so a, a bull, a calf bull, or whatever they would call it, a bull calf at three years old is not a, a very small uh, beast able to be lifted and carried around. But why would they choose a bull? Well, 
picturing strength. You know, there's a, there's a debate on whether they were breaking the first or the second commandment. Were they breaking the first commandment that they were actually worshiping this bull as if it was God? Or were they, worship, were they breaking the second commandment that you shouldn't make any images of God to bow down and worship as if they're leverages to worshiping the, worshiping the true God? But it seems like the, the, the accounts in Deuteronomy and this account seem like they're breaking both. Some people had in mind that this was a picture of the Lord. A bull is a picture of strength and, and fertility. And uh, so Aaron says, tomorrow we're going to have a feast unto the Lord, notice. He doesn't say we're going to have a feast unto the bull, unto the calf. So Aaron has the idea that they're breaking the second commandment, and yet he's, he's uh, facilitating it. But then there were others that, well, the Lord says they're worshiping the calf. And so perhaps they're just, but they're breaking the first of the two commandments of God's Word just a short time after the Lord spoke the commandments. And lest we look down our nose at, at people, how often is it that we hear the Word of God or we read the Word of God and we're determined to serve Him, but we fall within moments, without, within minutes or hours? And you remember Elijah at Mount Carmel, the great victory he had. He, unlike Aaron, he stood up against the people who worshipped Baal and said, no, we're not going to worship Baal. We're going to have a, a contest between so-called God Baal and the true God. Remember that great uh, contest at, at Mount Carmel. And after such a great victory, the Lord uh, causing fire to fall from heaven and consuming the sacrifice and the water and even the stones... And the people saying, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Why didn't Aaron uh, be, as it were, an example later for Elijah? But we find just the next morning, Elijah gets uh, warned by the queen that he's going to die, and he loses it. And he flees into the wilderness by uh, the fear of man instead of continuing that courage and the fear of God that he exhibited just the day before. And so it's not long often, isn't it, that we fall into sin even after we've, we've served the Lord and, and obeyed Him. But this is a horrible incident that Aaron would do such a thing. But yet, the Bible tells us that this goes on today. Romans chapter 1 and verse 23 the Bible says that man changes the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to four-footed beasts and creeping things. They change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. And yet we find that creatures are worshipped today. Sports figures and Hollywood figures and, and uh, wealthy people and famous people. People... Admire them more than they admire the God of glory in the Lord Jesus Christ who, who rose from the dead. We worship wealth and money and pleasure and work and sports and entertainment and so-called stars. So again, we can't look down our nose at, at the people of Israel in that day and think that we would, could never do such a thing. The Bible tells us that there are people that are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. May we avoid the idolatry that the Bible says will be prevalent in the last days.
Moses pictures the Lord Jesus Christ when the Lord said, Moses, I'll destroy this nation and I'll make a new nation with you as the head. And how many, how many carnal people would have said, yeah, that's a good idea, that you'll make a new nation after me. And yet we find Moses has the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a believer. And we find, again, four things in this chapter. Moses picturing Jesus. He had a concern for God's glory. First of all, verses uh, 7 to 14. He had a zeal for God's law, verses 15 to 24. He, had a, he, he sided with God's justice, verses 25 to 28. And he appealed to God's grace, verses 29 to 35. Moses had a concern for God's glory. When the Lord said, I'll destroy them and make of you another nation, Moses basically says four things. He said, look, what you, you've delivered your people from Egypt. You've, you've gone this far. You've shown your great name, your glory, your power. You can't stop now. You've led this nation out of Egypt and your name has been glorified. You've got to remember they're your people, Lord. And, and don't, don't destroy them. Secondly, he said, the, interp- the nations are going to misinterpret what happens. If you slay the is- Israel now, the Egyptians are going to say, well, God had an anger, he was angry toward the people anyway. Where Moses told Pharaoh, God wants us to go out of Egypt so we might worship Him. He wants, to, he wants us to, to hold a feast for Him in the wilderness. He wants us to be a, a people that worship Him. Where the nations are going to say, well, God must not have been able to, to completely deliver His people. He found out that it was much, too much to chew upon to lead them through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan. And so He destroyed them, plan B. Moses was saying, no, Lord, you've got to show the nations that your plan is right on schedule. Even though this nation has fallen at this moment, yet you can rectify this situation. You can keep your promises. Thirdly, he said, have pity upon them. Turn from your anger. Lord, you're a God of pity. You're a God of mercy. Lord, I plead for, I plead your mercy to, 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 uh, react to this situation. And fourthly, his covenant commitment. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. Remember, you promised them that you would give them the land of of Canaan. Lord, you can't renege on your promise. You're a God of your Word. You need to magnify your name. Show, Lord, that you are a God of truth and not iniquity. You don't lie like man lies. And so the application is, are we concerned about the greatness of God that it will be recognized in time as it will be in eternity? Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth before He was arrested and tortured and crucified. Is that our burden to glorify God? Do we want to see the Lord honored and blessed? Do we not want to see His holiness upheld? His day honored, the Lord's day that is so profane these days? Is it only is it only uh, Hobby Lobby and Chick Fil A that honor the Lord's Day? What about churches these days? Used to be that the Lord's Day was a day to set aside to worship, 
to honor the Lord, to take time to be with Him. Now the stadiums and the golf courses and the, the malls are full. Are we going to add to the dishonor of the Lord by frequenting these places? Are we concerned for God's glory? That this is a day to lift up Jesus Christ who rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Are we not pleading, Lord, glorify Your name in a world that has forgotten You, a world that blasphemes You, a world that you can't go, you can hardly go anywhere without hearing OMG wherever you go. It's, it's breaking the third commandment. Moses had a concern for God's glory. So ought you and me. Third, secondly, uh, we're told that Moses had a zeal for God's law. That's why he took those tables of testimony. The Bible says they were written on both sides. Again, how valuable to think of it that you could see something that God made Himself. Of course, we all, I mean, heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. But here were two pieces, two, two, I don't know, they had to be obviously light enough for Moses to carry both of them down the mount. And it's interesting, it says they were written on both sides, which tells you at least a couple things. You can't add to it. How people try to add to God's Word and God's law, but both sides were written on. So it's impossible. But the Lord says anybody that tries to add to His Word or, or take it away is, 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 is going to be cursed. And yet we find people are trying to take away the Word of God. They're trying to scratch out the fourth commandment. But remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But also it perhaps tells us that, well, people ask, well, were the first five commandments on one table of stone and the, and the the last five on the other, there's another possibility that all ten were on both both stones. Where God kept one, God would end up keeping one and the people would keep another. That's the way it usually was in agreements. In covenants, both parties of the covenant would keep a record of the covenant. I don't know. We'll know one day. I hope when I meet Moses, it's going to take a while to meet Moses. There are so many people in heaven but I, I hope I remember to ask, Moses, uh, were all Ten Commandments on both stones? Or, Well, I guess it won't be so important by then, will it? But he had a zeal for God's law. God didn't fault him for breaking these commandments. When he gets down at the bottom of it, what does he find? The Bible calls it dancing and it calls it that, that, that Moses said he, he saw that the people were naked. The, the, the wording... It's found elsewhere. The idea was there was lewd behavior. There was wild running around. It was just, it was just um, a horrible scene of immorality. And Moses just was filled with a zeal for God and, and righteous indignation. Can you not think of the greater Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he went into the temple or where God was in, supposedly in the midst? And he saw people exchanging money and, and selling birds and animals in the place where people were meditating, were to meditate and to pray. And is it any wonder that Jesus took a, a whip and, and, and hurled the, the tables over and, and cleansed the temple and said, Get these things hence. My Father's house is a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. You've made it a house of merchandise, a store. 
And that's what's happening in so many churches today. They're having bingo. They're having all kinds of merchandising and materialistic things. And people are to, are to come into a church building and expect to be able to meditate and to hear the Word of God. And yet we've made it a place of money exchange and, and all kinds of, of, of uh, buffoonery. When we should expect a place that God sets aside for worship to be a place where people can come and, and think and meditate and hear the Word of God. That's why He gave us this building. It's just a building. But He gave it to us in 1986. And we dedicated it to Him. We're, this building is, is set aside to worship God. To honor Him. And God judge us if we cause this place to become a place of merchandising. And if we make God's house of prayer a house for the dens of thieves and robbers. Jesus showed His zeal for God's law. And that's what the disciples said. They remembered the prophetic words of Jesus uh, that He had a zeal for God's house. Make not my Father's house a house of merchandising. David said, Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not your commandments. What a stark contrast between Moses being up in the mount learning the fear of God and, and, and being taught of God and then seeing the people running wild and praising a beast with hooves. That's essentially what was happening. And Aaron was not without blame. He minimizes his role. Did you read? Aaron says, uh, I, took, I took the gold, I took the jewelry, and I melted, and out came this calf. I mean, Really? Is, does that ever happen where just it automatically happens? Obviously, he's trying to minimize his role. But Aaron, you're the one that caused it. I don't know if it was a rude thing of, of a, wooden, a wooden frame and, and then melted gold in it that, was, that looked like a, a bowl, but it obviously was some rude or crude uh, facsimile. And yet the people look at it and they praise it for being a representation of God or a, a God that they worship. And again, how we can worship human beings that are finite, that are sinners, that are going to stand before God one day. Or we worship, we have a love of money which is the root of all evil. And we worship materialism and the things of this world that are all going to burn up. And there's a God of glory that deserves our admiration and our, our, our fear and our love and our obedience. Moses had a zeal for God's law. Do you and I have a zeal for God? God hates lukewarmness. He hates when we're apathetic. When we have more zeal for, for things and for pleasures of this world, and how often... You find that people have all kinds of excitement about shopping and sports, and and you know we ought to have a zeal for what we do, but yet the long faces when you walk into churches. I can remember growing up, going into the church, and my face was long too. But everybody just couldn't wait till the service was over. When you read in the scripture, the people are sad that the service is over because they have to leave. 
And oh, for the day when the Lord will so come down. You know, you can't... In the days of the Puritans in the 15 and 1600s, their sermons were two hours long. And the services were three hours long with singing. And they were sad when it had to end. We just don't have that longevity, do we? We just don't have that stamina. And perhaps, too, the preachers, and I include myself, don't have the ability to preach uh, productively for two hours. We, 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 we uh, expose our ignorance and our lack of, of deep spirituality. A zeal for God's law. You know, it's a tough thing, verses 25 to 28. 3,000 of the people were slain that day. Moses says, who's on the Lord's side? And, it's, and it says that his tribe of Levi all stood with him. They, they obviously separated from the camp. But remember, many of these, in a sense, everybody was complicit with what was going on. Not just Aaron. Why didn't others come up and say, Aaron, we cannot do this. There's no record of any of the, of the 70 elders or any others protesting that this shouldn't go on. So everybody, in a sense, was guilty. So Moses says, is there anybody that will stand against what's going on right now in this camp? And they did. And you know, the Lord, in His sovereignty, instructed Moses to have the people that would not repent and turn to the Lord to be slain. But whether it was 300 of 600,000 soldiers or 300 of of 2 million people. It was still a lot of people. But the Bible tells us that it wasn't just strangers that they they were being slaughtered. Some of these Levites were slaughtering their own children and their own relatives, friends and neighbors. In other words, these were people that would not repent of their lewdness. They continued as they went into the camp. They were continuing their immorality and their dancing and their wickedness. And you know, the day's going to come where the Lord is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And you know, we have to take a... I have had to reckon with the fact that some of my relatives and my old friends and loved ones have died without Christ. And the Bible teaches there's no second chance. Once a person dies, it's it. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But these Levites had to go in and and take God's side. Even the Bible tells us. Do you read that in verses 27 to 29? Put every man his sword by his side. Strap your sword by your side. Go in and slay every man his brother, his companion, his neighbor. And they did so according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. And verse 29 says that God is going to set you aside because you are willing to slay your own son or brother, if need be. That had to be a hard thing for those men. But it really is a picture of judgment day. That the day is going to come where we're not going to argue with God for punishing people who died without Christ. And it really is saying, are we willing to take sides with God's justice? Because do not all of us deserve His his wrath? It's because of God's mercy that any of us are saved. Think of the fallen angels. One third of the angels fell. They don't have any hope 
Jesus did not, God's Son did not become an angel. One third of the fallen angels are called demons. Of course, they have the devil over them, and there's no hope. One day they're going to all be cast into the lake of fire. But the Lord said of human beings who fell, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Are you and I that day going to be willing to be in agreement with God's justice? We're going to all say, but by the grace of God, I should be there. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve God's prison and not God's paradise. But thank God that God's Son was willing to die in our place. And that's really the picture of the last, the fourth movement of Moses. Notice it says, in verses 29 to 35, Moses goes back up the mountain. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verses, yes, verses 29 to 35, but particularly verse 30, it says that he says to the people, You sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And so Moses returns to the Lord and says, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Notice his prayer. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, he stops. You see that in the text? Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, he doesn't go on. As if he's saying, maybe you won't, Lord. And he reckons with that. Notice what he says. If not, destroy them all. Moses says, If not, blot me, I pray thee, out of your book which you have written. Lord, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me in their place. Let me die in their place. Talk about such love. Is that not a picture of Christ? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But how, how could Jesus save sinners when, when we sinners deserve God's wrath? Because the Bible says Christ died for our sins. Paul would say, I could wish myself to be accursed for my brethren so that they might be saved. But Jesus said, from the cross, not Father, destroy them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I lay down my life for my friends. I give my life a ransom for many. God hath made Him to be sin for us. It's Christ who died for our sins. That was the heart of Moses. Moses rests on God's sovereignty. But he says, if you will take me instead of destroying the nation, blot me out of your book. But you know, the Lord says, all who come unto Christ, you will in no way cast out. And God says, no, Moses. You're an elect of mine. You're my child. And yet God shows mercy to the people. When He called the people, your people, to Moses, notice what the Lord says in verse 34. Therefore now go lead. He doesn't say your people. But at this point, he doesn't yet say, my people. He's still, he's still sore over what they've done. But notice he says, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. 
Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf. But notice, God convicts Aaron, which Aaron made. And so the Lord says there's going to be consequences for what they've done, but I will not destroy the nation because I have promised to give them the land of Canaan. What a gospel message this is. You and I deserve the wrath of God, but God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Such a picture of the broken law of God. We've all broken it. Which commandment have we not broken? We deserve God's wrath. But God's Son is the greater Moses. He comes and He says, Slay me in their place. Take my life and give them eternal life. That's the message here. We've broken God's law, but God's Son has come to save us from our transgressions, to save us from our iniquities, to be crushed in our place. And if we trust in Him, His robes for ours, our rags, then we will be saved and saved for all eternity. Amen.